Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon, and I'm here today with Dick Thomas to discuss the importance of quantifying the value your solution brings to a customer to drive bigger deals. Differentiate yourself as a salesperson and gain access to the highest levels in an organization. Dick started his career at PTC, where he grew into the management ranks, and then he moved to Ariba, which was acquired by SAP. After Ariba, Dick was the VP North America for Enigma and then the VP of Sales for ModViz. After ModViz, Dick joined Blade Logic as the regional VP in the Southwest. After BMC's acquisition of Blade Logic, Dick became the all-important global VP of Business Value Consulting, where he trained and focused the sales team on how to build effective cost justifications inside a strategic business case. After BMC, Dick spent time at Force Management before becoming VP Sales at Montego and then Area Director at Workiva. After Workiva, Dick decided to start his own company. RW Consulting, RWT Consulting, <laughs> sorry, Dick. Thank you, John. To teach many companies how to turn features and functions into business value by solving customers' business problems. Over Dick's career, he had the honor of selling the largest deals in the history of four different companies, PTC, Ariba, Enigma, and Montego. Welcome, Dick Thomas. Dick, how are you? I'm doing great, John. And by the way, two of those companies, you were running the sales organization at the time. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You didn't get the biggest one at Blade Logic, though. It could have been three of them. Oh, the typical manager. (laughs) Just teasing you, buddy. Teasing you. Hey, Dick, you've been teaching salespeople now how to solve business problems, quantify customer value with cost justifications and an effective business case for 15 years. You know, as we just talked about, you've been doing it yourself for another 10 years. Let's start by talking about the why. You know, why is quantifying value that a customer will receive from your solution so important to a salesperson? You know, actually, there's eight reasons why. And uh, number one, as a seller, it gets you out of the minor leagues and gets you into the majors. When you're just selling features, you're talking to the end users of your product, which you have to do, and it's important. But their value is, is one-tenth the value that people outside that organization are getting. And I remember, uh, you remember Dave Boyle. So I, I taught Dave Boyle how to do a business case at, um, at BMC. And Dave told me, he said, Dick, this is the most valuable thing I've learned in my career in the last 10 years. So you jump from doing small deals to doing major league deals. Um, and when you're solving business problems versus pushing a product, I can only sell features for so much money. But if I solve a business problem, 
my solution is worth whatever the value of that business problem is I solve. In addition, I'm truly becoming a consultant now because I know as much or more about the business, their business, as my prospect does. I can also increase my average deal size and my win rate. We used to track win rate at BMC and deal size for the global business value selling team. On average, we increased the deal size by two to five X. And it was incredible to see the salesperson's eyes light up when you identified a wider spectrum of value that they never saw, but we understood the, the customer or the prospect. You also get larger commission checks, obviously. And you that's just- help. That's helpful. Yeah. But you distinguish yourself from other sellers. Hey, Dick sounds different than these other sellers. What's going on? He's talking about different things. We're talking about speeds and feeds, and he's talking about revenue. Um, last, or not last, but number seven, it gets you higher and wider in your organization. Okay. Um, when I pursued business value, it took me into organizations I would never call on before. I called on marketing when I had an IT solution. Why? Because marketing benefited from the solution. And then lastly, you can literally box the competition out of the account by selling business value. Yeah. Oh, Top of the box out the competition. But the yeah. ones that really stick out for me are, you know, you're solving business problems instead of trying to push a product. Yeah. Um, you're differentiating yourself, I think, not only from the competition, you know, the competing sales force, but you're really differentiating yourself from all salespeople that enter that account. And the one that you didn't really specifically highlight, but it's built into some of the things you're talking about is finding a powerful champion. And that's why you get higher and wider in the prospects Absolutely. organization. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's start at a high level and break down some of the major components that you tell people need to go into selling business value. Yeah. So essentially there's, there's four major components. One is the value pyramid. That's where you gain a deep understanding of prospect business. The second, I call it gold miner discovery because it's like swinging a pick and, uh, and you got to discover down to annualized dollars. Um, the third is a value-based demo, which is an interesting methodology to discover and quantify value it during the demo itself and actually confirm it with the customer. And the last is the business case ROI model, comprehensive business case with ROI model. Okay, so let's go through those again. So you have a value pyramid. We're going to go into that first. You have what you call gold miner discovery. Then you have a value-based demo. And then obviously the, the business case or the ROI model. So let's walk through each one of these elements slow to give the audience a, a grip of exactly how, you know, what it is and how you do it. So let's start with the value pyramid. You know, what, what is it and, and how do I build one of these? Okay. So... A value pyramid is, is really, it's the external discovery before you even make one sales call in the company. By the way, when you remember, as you know, territories always get smaller for sellers, right? There's no, right. no getting around it. If you're successful, they're going to get smaller. Um, and if you do a value pyramid and study the business, um, you can have a very small territory, still make a ton of money because you're solving business problems and you're focused, right? So um, the value pyramid is all about learning about the business. If, if, I'm, if I'm sizing up my territory, I got 25 accounts, which one do I want to call on first? Well, I want to call on the one that has a strategic 
uh, strategy and the goals and objectives that I can participate in. Because those, that's where I'm going to resonate, resonate strategically. So first of all, you help organize my territory and prioritize my time, right? So you study the business and determine how do you want to structure your territory and how do you want to prioritize going after it? But it also gives you the information you need to make your entrees in a prospect. And if I find out that my solution can support their business strategy, whichever executive owns that strategy, I can go after that guy with some really interesting value and get a meeting and start high in the organization and have my agenda pushed down into the, into the operating group where my solution gets used. Okay. So, so is that everything that goes into a value pyramid? Why don't you step through? Yeah. That was kind of like a, a high level description of the value pyramid. Let's talk about, you know, stay on some of the elements that go into the value pyramid. Yeah, let's start with the basics, right? What business are they in? John, you, you've, I'm sure you've experienced this, but as a VP of sales, I had a situation where I'm in the car with a rep. We're driving to the account to make a sales call. And I say, what do these guys do for a living? I don't know, but they need our solution. Are you kidding me? So basics, what business are they in? And then secondly, how are they organized? Guess what? Some of the divisions in a company are, are, the, are the cutting edge, bleeding edge divisions. They lead the company into technology, right? Some of them are the laggers. Are you calling on a laggard division or are you calling on a leading division? Um, you want to understand their products and services they produce just so you're fluent with their, their speak and their knowledge and their, what they do. You also want to study the trends in the industry that impact the company because who cares about trends? It's the executives that cares about trends because they use them to build their strategy. You want to know who their competitors are. Again, because the executives use what the competitors are doing to build their strategies. Um, you want to know their financial condition. Look, look, are they strapped for cash or are they flush with money and it's not going to be a problem to do a deal with you? It's not budgeted. You want to see the org chart and understand the org chart so you know the power structure. Their goals, objectives for the year. You want to know their strategy to achieve them. The business initiatives, which are actually funded activities that you can attach yourself to and get money easily to drive the strategies. You want to look at their risk to the business because maybe you reduce risks. And then lastly, the last thing I do is I scan news articles for the company that are relevant to my solution. And I read everyone that's relevant to my solution in the last 12 months. So now I'm fully up to speed. And John, when you're at that level, one of the cool things that happens, you build a value pyramid, it builds your confidence, conviction, and courage. And you can't wait to get in front of that executive and have your meeting. And if you do, oftentimes the response is, gee, Dick, I asked him about a project. Or, gee, Dick, why don't you tell me about the project? I think you know more about the company than I do. Right. That's when you know you've done a good job and you're different than every other seller that calls on that account. Yeah, no doubt. But let's stay right here on the value pyramid now. So you, you named a number of things that I can go find, like goals and objectives, business initiatives, risks to the business. Help people understand where are some of the best places to look for this information on a company? Yeah, so there's two classes of companies we call on. You know, we call on uh, public companies, we call them private companies. And public companies, they're uh, much easier to get the information from because you've got the, 
You got the 10K where you can get the, the all the business, all the things I just mentioned can come out of the 10K basically, except for the news articles. Um, and, and if you think about it, a 10K is a company's advertisement for buying their stock. But they tell you all the reasons why we're a good company, great company, you should buy our stock. But it also, they're held by the SEC to, uh, to honest evaluations of the risk and so forth and what's going on with the company. Literally, John, when we were with Blade Logic, I did a, I did a value pair of one company. Uh, it was, a, it was Blackboard and Blackboard talked about the 12 outages they had during the year that caused significant problems in the classroom. And I can remember that one of the pieces of the article, the, the student would show up to the class and go, Oh, well, the system was down last, last night. So I couldn't study. I couldn't take the test. That's why I didn't do the test. Right. You'd be amazed at what's in a vet, what's in a, a 10K. So 10K. So in that 10K, just to be clear for everyone, there's the business, which I think you're referring to, Dick, is the business risks section yeah. of the 10K. And that's where the company has to, as you said, they're trying to sell their stock. But at the same time, what they have to do is they have to list all the risks to the business. And right. that's and where you can find a lot of pain points. Yeah, well, most of it is boilerplate because I have to say this. Well, the market could go down or competitors could, you know, come out with a new product, all this stuff. And that's, I just, I just let that go. I, I don't even bother with that. But sometimes there's some really interesting things that your solution aligns to can address. So you got to read the risk section because when you can find something there, the value is usually strategic in nature. Now, that's public companies. Private companies are a little more difficult, right? Because there's not as much information easily available. So what you have to do is you have to, you've got to look at Crunchbase and other, other sources on uh, private companies. You can also Google the CEO's name because CEOs are often talking about their goals and objectives, their strategies, their growth plans. And, and you can, you can read articles about, about these executives. Um, so those are the two primary sources for the private companies. You want to leverage heavily your internet searches and, uh, and look at, you know, items like, or sites like Crunchbase. There's also Glassdoor too. Hey, if I got a problem that's, if I got a solution that solves an interesting problem in a sales organization and I, I read the Glassdoor re reviews of the sellers and they're complaining about the problem I solves, guess what? I got, I got ammunition loaded in my gun and I can go in there and make a real big impact. Yeah. There's also the annual report. I mean, you mentioned the 10K, which is kind of a separate document from the annual report, but the annual report is kind of a, that is a real big advertisement for buy my stock. Here's yeah. the, here's the things we're working on, the things we, some of our strategic initiatives and corporate objectives are built into the, the annual report. The other thing, like you mentioned, was uh, Googling the executives. A lot of times they sit on panels and they might do discussions. And if you listen to some of the discussions or some of the articles written on the panels that they sat on, you can gather some really good information also. Absolutely. If they're the keynote speaker, there's a reason why they're the keynote because they did this successfully at their company. And uh, you can learn about their thoughts and directions and things like that. All right. So Dick, so now I have this information. I looked in the 10K. I looked in the annual report. It did. I Googled the executives and the company. I looked in Crunchbase. So I have this information. Now walk me through how I take the information and organize it into categories to create a value pyramid. How do yeah. I do that? So let's start with the categories and then we talk about how we yeah. do it. Well, let's, let's combine them together because I've got a, um, 
you know, we used to teach value pyramids years ago in our, in our older companies. And, and we, we teach them a slide with a pyramid on it and they'd have a couple bullets in each of the, you know, sections of the pyramid, right? Unfortunately, that's not enough because you can replicate that and you can still not know how to use it, right? Because you didn't really consume it. So what I did is I, I built out a, a really interesting template um, that I, I use with my consulting business and I equip my, my customers with it. But it tells them like business description. Here's where you go find this information. Here's what you're looking for. And effectively you go through, you read it in 10K, you take a snippet, copy it and paste it in the template and highlight what's interesting. Because you're going to go back and redo your highlights to build your sales strategy, right? And you do that with description, products and services, the organization, the industry trends, the competition, the financial condition, the org chart, goals and objectives, strategy, business initiatives, risks, and then the news articles. And at the end of the template, there's a section in there that says, you know, how do you, how does your solution align to solving your business problems? If you can't articulate that, you don't have any value in that company that's strategic in nature. If you can articulate that, and in most cases you can, um, you've got a strategic opportunity and you can go, you can go get meetings with executives and start high and work your way down through the organization and across the organization as well. Okay. So let me go. You went really fast. So there were corporate objectives, strategic goals. If we were going to categorize these corporate objectives, strategic goals, business initiatives. I heard you say something about risks and then also solution alignment. Are those the five major components of the value pyramid? Um, You know, those are the, those are the components you look for alignment to. Can my solution impact these? They can't. You got, you're selling features and functions. You got a tactical deal. If it can align to their strategy and help them achieve their goals, you have a strategic opportunity with that company. Yeah, and- no doubt. No doubt. I'm just making sure that for the audience, they understand that there's five major components or elements. Those are the major to, components. To the value pyramid. Okay, so now corporate objectives, strategic goals, business initiatives, risks to the business, and solution alignment. And now, do I build the value pyramid before I do discovery with the customer? Or is the value pyramid part of the discovery process? How do you how do you break that down? So I teach my customers to study the business before they make their first sales call. Because otherwise you don't know what to say. I, look, if I don't study the business first and I make my first sales call, all I can tell them about is my product and features, right? Nobody wants to hear that first. They want to know that you, that you know their business and they want to talk about their business problems and they want to see if you have anything that can help them solve those problems. Okay. so. I may not be able to complete a full value pyramid before I enter an account, because once I go in and do discovery, I might find out some other other things that are part of a further discovery process. But how do I know if I have sufficient information to build a value pyramid before entering the account? Is that where you say that I have some sort of solution alignment in the value pyramid? If I don't have solution alignment, then I definitely don't have enough information to enter the account. Absolutely. Um, and you'll, you'll know it by the way. And, um, because the lights, the light bulbs just start going off and it's like, holy crap, we can help them with this, this, and this. And I look at it as, look, how many goals, how many goals can we help them achieve? 
How many strategies can we help drive and which ones are most significant? By the way, who owns strategies, John? It's the VPs in the company because they're the ones that get together and build the strategy with the lead, the leadership, executive leadership. And so you're identifying your target executive champions and you're, you're done identifying multiple ones if you can help multiple ones. Okay, so I found that most salespeople or salespeople in general are, are reluctant to take the time to build the discovery before they enter the account. So they never build value pyramids. In fact, they barely do any discovery. Most reps rather charge into the account, do a demo, and then hope for the best. So why do you think it is that more sellers don't build value pyramids or do extensive discovery before entering the account? You know, you taught me this, don't confuse activity with success, right? Right. And, and, and that's the way salespeople are away. I gotta be doing something, I gotta be, do I gotta be doing three things at once. When I work for you at Ariba, John, one of the things I've, I vowed to do is I'm going to stop being on three different conference calls at the same time. I'm going to be a man of focus. And I just stopped taking calls when I'm on a, in a meeting or on a call. Um, and it took a lot of discipline because at Reba, th things went a million miles an hour, as you know. Heck yeah. So, um, people, salespeople don't think they can invest the time, but what they don't understand is that in order to do an enterprise level deal, if you're going to do a $15 million deal, you got to put that work in to understand the prospect. And it's worth every penny. Because otherwise you wind up doing a hundred K deal instead of a $15 million deal. I think where it comes from really is um, too many managers are measuring reps to your earlier point on activity, not accomplishment or success. So they measure the reps on the number of meetings they have versus the quality of the meetings that they complete. So as a salesperson, if I'm measured on meetings, I do very little discovery and I just roll into the account so I can count it as another meeting. You know, it would make a lot more sense if managers would start to measure salespeople on a number of, let's say, successful POVs or yeah. EB meetings in a quarter. That would be a forcing function, I think, to achieve, you know, higher quality discovery meetings. Absolutely. And if you remember at Blade Logic, I counted the number of successful POVs you did, not how many meetings you had. I didn't care if you were on the beach, as long as, you know, every quarter you had a couple successful, you know, POVs. I remember, I remember it well. So there's no doubt that the best salespeople that I've seen, you've seen, have taken the time to do deep discovery, build strong ROI models, and they get to the highest levels of an organization and do the, the biggest deals. Um, you were talking about um, you know, a rep that we both know. Do you want to give us a little real life example of a value pyramid? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, this is a amazing story. So, um, I had a customer called Hyperscience. You remember Bill Stroges? Sure. sure. VP sales, startup company. Hyperscience had technology that automated data entry. So you could just take Paper, paper, paper sheet, scan it in, and it would turn it into information and data. Um, and it did it very accurately. But Bill called me up and he says, Dick, he says, I think we're leaving money on the table with every deal. He says, can you come in here and help us? And I said, sure. First thing I did is, um, you know, we were going to, I was going to teach him how to do value pyramids and build a business case, right? So 
I said, Dave, or I said, uh, Bill, give me a, give me a live deal in flight with one of your best salespeople. So he gave me Xander Steele, the, a name right out of the, you know, spy movies, right? Xander Steele, um, young sales guy, really up and coming, really good as craft. Um, and he had a deal with Conduit and Conduit had 2000 people in India manually keying data in for them, right? And their quality control program was they keyed the data in twice to ensure quality and, and then compared the differences. So it was even manual QA. Um, and Xander had a deal going with him. Okay. And, and he had a business case, but he was calling on the operational people and op operations is the organizations that uses your solution. So, so these are all the people, the people that he's calling on the, on the managers that own the people that are hand keying in the information. And he had a pretty good business case. All right. The business case was interesting. It, it generated, uh, they saved him $840,000 a year. Now, when you do labor savings and you've got 2,000 people in India doing this, it's nine bucks a day. It's not a lot of money. Um, but it was enough to justify a 200K land deal for Xander. That's where he was at when he called me in. And I said, Xander, first thing we're going to do is we're going to build a value pyramid and study the business. And then we're going to build an ROI model that actually calculates risk reduction and revenue, okay? As well as your cost savings. Because his model, all it did is calculate cost saving. And right. if you're in India, if you're saving headcount at nine bucks a day, it's, it's not going to be that good a business case. So I did the value pair and I showed it to Xander and lo and behold, okay, turns out that uh, the state of Florida canceled the last half of a $14 million contract conduit. Cancel it due to nefarious dealings, okay? The state of Texas just won a $236 million lawsuit against the company. Um, and they were, they were going to have to pay out on this thing. Against Conduit or against Xander? Well, against Conduit. Okay. Um, 17 of their sales or 70% of the sales force walked out the door. They lost a billion dollars in revenue due to customer churn in one quarter. Okay. It's because of all this crap going on. And the CEO was fired. And I, could, I knew something was up, but I found out they had an interim CEO and he was a straight shooter, ex-Navy fighter pilot. You don't put that guy in the CEO position unless you want to tell the market, we're changing our tune. This is our straight arrow guy now. Um, so it was like amazing what we found. And again, now Xander's always, he's in the weeds. He's doing operational value. And I said, Xander, you look at the CEO's business problems, he's got, he's got to restore customer trust. Um, he's got to uh, get his sales force back and he's got to get revenue back on track because he lost a billion dollars. I said, Xander, how can your solution do all those things? He said, gee, I don't know, Dick. And I said, look, Xander, you got the data right here from the business case he did. Their solution uh, ran their process 22 and a half times faster than the manual method. I said, no, Xander, if you're 22, by the way, 22 times faster, an accuracy improvement was a half a percent as well. That one half a percent accuracy improvement was worth $12 million in cost savings annually. Okay. Mm -hmm. But because they're 22 and a half times faster, I can do a lot with that, right? I can lower my price and beat everybody in the market. Um, I can keep my price where it's at and make more profit than anybody in the market. Um, but how do we solve that business problem? 
I said, Xander, you need to get a meeting with Cliff Skelton, the CEO. You need to go in there and show them how you can solve the problem. Because if you went to all the customers that have left and you say, you know what? We're going to, if you guys, first of all, we're going to, we're going to pay you guys to come back. Okay. And we're going to give you this. We're going to, we're going to give you uh, the same contract at half the cost next year. If you call it, you can sign up for 12 more months. We'll be half price next year. By the way, they make more money at half price with automation than they do at full price with the manual method. I'm sure. The thing is, um, you're going to go to all your existing customers and immediately write them a check for a 20% discount on a current contract that you already closed. Why? Because you need to, you need to keep those customers to the company and you can afford to do it now because you're going to do their contract with the automation 22 and a half times faster. Okay. And the third thing is, is when you start, when the sellers start to see now you're going to go into the marketplace at 20% discount on all new business. And when the sellers that have left your company start realizing you're closing business because they can't compete with the price, they're going to come back to you. So we solved all of Cliff Skelton's problems. Now, Xander couldn't get a meeting with Cliff. He got, the, he got one level lower, the COO, and he pitched solving the business problems to the COO. Guess what, John? Instead of getting a, a 200K land deal, they got a $2 million land deal. And customer insisted they execute the deal a quarter early. But pulled it in. Great story. Great story. So, and I know you're super excited. <laughs> I could tell, but I, I want to raise my prices. I want to go to the second element here. The second <laughs> element you mentioned after the value pyramid is you mentioned something called gold miner discovery. So, tell us what you mean by gold miner discovery. And then how do I do that? So most, most reps are uncomfortable with spending time in pain. You know, and I, at force management, we always call the dragging them through the glass, right? Making sure they're, they're just feeling that pain long enough because that's what stimulates them to break the inertia and do something, right? Right, uh, drives urgency. Exactly. So what is gold miner discovery? Well, Again, because most sellers are uncomfortable with pain, they'll ask one question. Do you have manual processes? Yeah, we have manual processes. Oh, good. They check the box and they move on. Well, let's talk about um, you know, accuracy. How about your accuracy? So they didn't dig down and figure out what that was. And I call it the gold ladder discovery because you, I liken it to when you're in, a, in the cave and you swing the pick against the wall and you see a little vein of gold, you go, aha, there's something there, right? They got pain. I'm going to swing that pick again, bing, and it opens up a little wider. And you swing again, bing, and it opens up a little wider. And you're not done discovering and asking questions in that vein until you understand the annualized cost of that pain. Now you get, you've got everything you need and you can move on and talk about accuracy or their error rate or whatever, the next subject, right? And John, I can remember being in meetings when I'm doing this discovery. All of a sudden, my mind goes, flick, we got an ROI that's 5X right now, you know? And, and I knew we had a good, a good opportunity. But getting sellers to sit in that pain with the customer and, and keep mining it until you get the gold is why it's called gold miner discovery. Right. So I build the value pyramid. So I did, you know, really good discovery. I think that I have solution alignment. 
And now what I'm going to do is use the value pyramid to go do gold mining or gold miner discovery. And it's a way really in which I can, if, I, if you think about it, I can add additional or relevant content back into my value pyramid also, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're really discovering the root of the strategic problems and business problems, right? You're at the root of it in the operating organization that has the pain. Right. So I'm build, I build it. I want to go back again. I build a value pyramid prior to walking into the account. And then I proceed to share my findings with the customer while I'm confirming, adding, deleting, editing any of those findings through gold miner discovery, correct? Yeah. Okay. And then how do I know what information I might be missing? Because you said tie it all back to dollars and that's, that's when I stop. Is there any other way that I know that I'm missing information? Well, um, you know, you, you, the, 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 the ROI model in a business case kind of ties it all together in a, in a large picture of the, the cost of the pain and um, the value of your solution in solving that pain. And it puts it in annualized terms, which is what everybody makes decisions based on and gives you an opportunity to calculate the return on the investment for your solution cost. Right. So right now I'm not building the ROI yet, right? I'm, I'm just kind of asking questions and trying to tie that right. back to dollars. So I'm still kind of in discovery, right? And I guess the only way to really figure out if I'm missing anything is if I can't tie some, a pain point that the customer has back to what it really costs them in terms of again, costs or, you know, increased revenues or some sort of risk, you know, then, then I know I'm missing something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then in your experience, once you've done this, you built the value pyramid, you're doing gold miner discovery. Is there a, a great method or a way or a secret sauce to Dick Thomas in the way in which you get the customer to discuss and open up about those pain points? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the demo. Right. Okay. Uh, again, as you mentioned early on, salespeople want to rush to the demo. They want to just get to the demo. They don't want to bother studying a business. They don't want to ask discovery questions. Show the product, right? And um, and customers sometimes try to demand that. I don't talk. You know, don't ask me questions. Show them, let me see your product. You know. Um, but a lot of demos I've sat in. Um, God bless the engine, the sales engineer. They learn everything about the product. They learn every feature and they get really good at showing all the features, but they do what I call show up and throw up. They, they take their, they take their machine guns and they rack it back and they pull the trigger and they, it's a machine gun feature fast and they don't stop pulling that trigger until it click, click, click. And they've shown every feature their software has. And then and, and the customer tries to ask you a question. He goes, well, just a minute, hold on to that question. Wait till I finish firing my features at you, right? He finishes, takes a deep breath and looks at the prospect and goes, what do you think? And the prospect goes, well, that was really cool. Now you walk out of the, you walk out of the meeting and you got nothing because you have no idea of the value you showed him. You can't go in front of the CFO and say, or the professional buyers say, hey, here's the price they want to buy it. It's really cool. You know, they're not, that's not going to work. So this actually happened to me when I was working at Workiva and uh, Jake Akers was my engineer. I had a seller with me. We were, we were in a call with Tipco 
You showed them everything the product does and all the guys were nodding their heads. This is really cool. We walked out in the parking lot. I said, Jake, you showed them everything our product does. And by the way, Jake, this demo is a silver bullet. We won't get invited back in for another demo. He's already seen the demo. And when you walk out there and you showed them everything, you didn't ask him what the value of any of that is. You wasted that bullet. I said, we're never going to do a demo like that again, Jake. And I sat down with Jake and I and I said, Jake, there's five or six things our product does. Five or six things any product does that generate the real value. So we're going to focus on those five or six things. That's all we're going to show them. That's all that really matters. But before we show them the first feature of capability, Jake, we're going to say, now, we're about to show you this. Yeah, we can show you everything we do in an hour and cover all 500 features if you want. We'd rather cover the ones that are most valuable and ask you about them. Would you rather do that? Yeah, we'd rather do that. So we got in there and we did the first capability. But before we did it, we said to the prospect, and before we do this, show you this capability, tell us how you do it today. How many people do it? How, how often do you do it per year? We annualize the cost of that capability, basically. We wrote it on the whiteboard. Okay, Jake, show them how we do it. Of course, you know what technology, Jake pressed the button, boom. And their jaws are gaping open. And this is amazing. And I, then I asked them, if you had our capability, our solution, how long do you think it would take you to do it? They go, probably five minutes, you know. And now you put the five minutes down and you subtract the two. So we can agree we have about this much value for this capability annually. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. And you do that the second time and the third time. And when you finish the fifth capability, you add the total across the bottom. Says, I think we've got about four and a half million dollars of value for you guys. Does that seem about right? And guess what? It's their numbers. It's their information. They gave it to you. And as long as we can both do math, they're going to go, yeah, that looks about right. right. Now what got it there? And because of that, they think that the solution was built for them and, and their company only because mm -hmm. it looks custom, right? But not only that, though, is they have validated and confirmed the, the, the value of your solution versus kept silent. And now we can say, look, guys, if we can see four and a half million dollars of value in just showing you these five features, let me come in and do a full business case and let's work this thing up and see what the total value really comes to. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let, let me, um, let me bring everybody back up to date for where we are. So we were armed with the changes that we made to the value pyramid while we were doing gold miner discovery, right? Now mm -hmm. I was prepared to perform an Einstein demo, mm -hmm. validate my solution. And as you described in that story, it's a direct match to the customer's pain points, their initiatives and their objectives, which are in the value pyramid, right? So I'm only showing I'm not showing, like Jake did originally, an entire demo of my product. I'm only showing the parts of my solution that are a direct match to the customer's pain points, their initiatives, and their ob objectives, right? Absolutely. Okay. So I want to go back on repeat again, right? So we, I create a value pyramid prior to entering the account. After entering the account, I perform gold miner discovery to confirm, add, change, delete my value pyramid findings. Then after changing my value pyramid findings, I arrange for an Einstein demo where I confirm that the capabilities of my solution are a direct solution to their pain points and business initiatives. Yeah. And while performing the demo, 
which is your main point here. I'm quantifying the dollar-based benefits of my solution for the customer, right? Absolutely. So after the first demo, John, you know whether or not you have value in the account. And if you don't, guess what? As you taught me years ago, walk away if there's right. no value there. Don't waste your time. Yeah. And well, as you're going down here, so you did the value pyramid. Then when you do goldmine or discovery, you're feeding more information back into the value pyramid for more content. After you do the demo, you're doing it again. So you, you're really beefing up this value pyramid, you know, through the goldmine or discovery and also through the Einstein demo, right? Yeah. And I have my preliminary business case done after the demo because it gets completed as in flight as you do the demo. Right. It's preliminary, like you said, because you're going to go back and do a, a business case later on, right? Yeah. Yeah. So all of these elements all kind of play off of each other and they're all valuable to each other, right? Absolutely. Okay. Let's see. Um, I want to see where I want to go now. So. Once I am armed, now I'm armed. Okay, I want to go to this question. So I, I'm armed with the value pyramid. I did my gold miner discovery. I did my Einstein demo. Hey, I now have more information about this account, the pain points, the initiatives, than maybe anybody else inside the account. Why wouldn't I try to get higher and wider in the account to find more champions and beef up my, well, you will. my business case? You will. Because if you get the value pyramid, again, you've identified the executives that own, that are driving the strategies that own the, own achieving the goals and objectives. And, um, and you, now you've got something to talk to them about. And when you do the, when you do the Einstein demo and the gold miner discovery, you've got value to talk to them about, not just capabilities, but you can, you can actually show them how your solution contributes to, towards solving their business problem. And literally as you go throughout the organization, you become a champion magnet. Because you're solving problems, you're not spewing features. Right. Okay, so now let's go discuss the business case and the ROI model. Let's talk a little bit about that. How about the, uh, the business case or ROI model? Which one do you want to talk about? Yeah, I, you know, I kind of wrap them all together. I mean, the ROI model is the actual total sheet, summary sheet that calculates all the value together. The business case is investigating all these areas of value asking good discovery questions, having good interviews and literally building champions and selling on the inside while you're doing the business case. So. Okay. But I think I've heard you talk about this too. Um, if I remember correctly, there's two types of value in a business case. You talk, you've talked about like operational value and business impact. Yeah. And I think it's really important for people to understand this because of the we always talk about how you have to align what you're selling to the way in which the persona you're selling to is measured, right? So let's talk about, let's break them down first, operational value, and then we'll talk about business impact. Sure. Explain to people what you mean by operational value. So operational value is the value the end user organization of your solution gains from your solution, okay? So if you think about hyper science, it's the organization the guy, the manager that owns all those headcount that's doing manual entry, right? Now, um, typically operational values express as cost savings. It's easy to calculate. Um, and it's a reduction in, F in FTE hours, right? I can save you headcount. Unfortunately, 
that by the time you get in front of the CFO, that becomes a soft dollar savings because the CFO goes, oh, you're going to save 10 headcount? And you'll look at your champion and go, which 10 people in your organization do you want to fire? I didn't sign up for that. Now, there is a way to turn that into hard dollar savings. If they're a growing company and they're going to hire 10 more people next year, right. you can take deferred hiring savings. And that's a hard dollar savings. That's okay. So that's, that's what you might call cost avoidance. Exactly. Exactly. But normally, and this is what most sellers do because it's the easiest thing to calculate, right? And they stick in, they stay in that end user organization because they got blinders on because they didn't do a value pyramid. They don't know where else to go with their solution, right? But we see beyond that because of the value pyramid. And we know that that's the smallest value our solution calculates is our operational value. The biggest value is risk reduction. The second biggest value is revenue. So that's what operational value is. Um, it's reducing the error rate. It's uh, saving time and, and money because your process is automated and goes faster effectively. Okay, so let me clarify. So you're saying that operational values, let's say the end user department or the division you know, obtains from your solution. And that business impact is the quantification of what the company gets from your solution. So yeah, absolutely. let me use an example. So an operational value might be that I make an end user department, let's say five times more productive because you were saying, you know, reduce headcount. So they, but it's more than reducing headcount. They're more productive. So let's say they get their product out the door faster to market. And maybe that's what they're measured on, you know, time to market. But the business impact that that company obtains is lower costs because they got the product out the door quicker and increased revenues because the product came to market earlier. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And think I think that's really important for, for salespeople when they're putting this into perspective for the customers to not forget that there's operational value and then there's business impact. Yeah. And you have to calculate the operational value because if you can't calculate that, you'll never get to the business impact. That's the foundational value that drives the business impact, right? Yeah. And I want to go back to something that you barely mentioned. You mentioned risk reduction, right? And I think, I don't know, in my experience, selling risk reduction is sometimes really difficult. It's difficult to gain agreement with the customer on risk reduction maybe even if you can accurately calculate it. What, what have you found? So it is the most difficult. There's three types of value, right? Um, there's revenue improvement, risk reduction, and cost savings. Cost savings is the easiest. Everybody does it. But this is where you distinguish yourself. If you can calculate value from risk reduction and revenue, you're in, you're in rarefied air there and you can have conversations with executives. So typically risk reduction Look, if a company hasn't been breached, if they haven't had been fined for, you know, noncompliance, um, they're going to be tough customers because they go, hey, you know, it's not a problem for us. We haven't been hit by it yet. And we all know it's a matter of when, not if, but it's still difficult. So one of the things you got to do is, is you got to figure out how to calculate it in a way that the customer can find it a reasonable assessment of their exposure, right? So for instance, take Costco. Um, we know that if a company gets breached, the cost to repair the breach and cover damages of all your customers, it's estimated $161 per record breached. So in other words, you would get $161 check, John, to solve your breach problems. Uh, if you're a customer of Costco, for instance, Costco has 123 million customers. If they got breached and they had to pay $161 per record to solve that breach, that's $19 billion. 
Now, you can't smack him with the whole 19 billion. This is where I you can't, get it. I can't ask for an order for 19 billion. No, you can't. You can't. Because they go, yeah, right, right. But you have to make it reasonable. And this is where we bring in time to go, look, do you think you're going to get a breach in the next 10 years? Yeah, we're 50% likely we'll get a breach in the next 10 years. All right. Let's divide the 19 billion by 50, by, by 10 years. That's 1.9 billion a year. Let's multiply it by 50% because that's the probability this happened in the next 10 years. Now I got the annual risk exposure. And if my solution can reduce that by 50%, we still got a lot of money in risk reduction, right? Right. I like how you work backwards on that. I still don't know if they, if they go for the, you know, and for the biggest numbers, you can, let's say you saved them $800 million. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't have to even show that. To your point, you can cut that in half and in half and in half again and still come out with a really big order. Yeah, and it's got to be it's got to be their numbers, not your number. You can't tell them I'm going to do that, save this. You got to ask them how much right. do you think we can reduce this. Right, right. So did you do a business value assessment at Costco? Is this a real life example? Yes, we did. All right. Did you come out with 19 billion? Uh, I tell you what, we, we won a nice, nice size deal. Okay. And, um, and we did it in a really interesting fashion where we just, we killed the competition. So Dick, let's just talk quickly about when you built the ROI. Yeah. What are some of the key elements in the ROI that you have to show to the customer? One, you, you're talking about you have to show their numbers. Two, you have to show the pain that you had quantified earlier on, you know, using their numbers. And you did that in the gold miner discovery and the Einstein demo. Mm -hmm. And then you're probably using their numbers for full-time equivalents if you're doing productivity. What are some of the other things that salespeople need to consider when they are building that ROI model? You see, the, the, the first thing you establish when you're uh, building a business case in ROI model is this is your cost today of the way you operate. And of course, we're calculating the areas where we can help them, right? But we're showing them what their cost exposure is. We're showing what the revenue impact is of that. And we're showing what the risk impact of that is. Okay. Um, by the way, while we're learning this and discovering it, like if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm learning and discovering I'm interviewing you for the business case and you're telling me how you do your job every day. And you're telling me that all the errors that result from it. And you're telling me the delays in uh, release that we have to get the, get the production release to the website so we can start earning revenue. Um, I'm capturing all this information and analyzing it, but then I'm going, John, let me show you how we do that. And I show you how we do that. And you're going, Oh crap, Dick, if I had that, I would have, that would have cut my, I could take vacations that cuts my job by 10% or 90%, whatever it is. I'm building a champion one piece of function at a time as we go through this business case. And when we finish our one hour meeting, not only did you unload all your pain on me, that feels good, but I also showed you, here's how we can help you, John. And I'm building champions with everybody I interview. So you mentioned Costco. When we did the Costco business case, um, John Laporte, remember John Laporte in Washington? Sure. He said, Dick, I need to help. 
I think we can do a business case. Uh, and we went out there we, and we had, we had a kickoff meeting with the CIO and all his direct reports. Okay. And we said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be on site and we're coming back on Friday afternoon and we're going to have the wrap up meeting, right? So we had a kickoff meeting with the CIO and all his direct reports, a wrap up meeting with the CIO and all his direct reports. And in between during the week, we did 44 one-on-one hour interviews. 44. Wow. I just think about this. That's 46 sales calls in one week, two executive calls and, and the rest in the, in the operating groups, right? But if you, a normal sales campaign, how long would it take you to do 46 sales calls? Forever. How many sales calls do you think that the computer associates rep did? Because that's who we're competing against. He probably did five calls in the whole sales process. And we did 46. By the way, um, we had the kickoff meeting with the CIO. One of the things we discovered talking to one of the guys that does QA over their website, which does millions of dollars of business a year. He told me, he says, Dick, he says, um, I asked him what happens to QA when, you know, when you're short on schedule and you're, you're in danger of missing, missing the release deadline. He goes, oh, we just skip QA and we go right to production. Mm. Then we're pushing software into a revenue bearing website, high risk, right? And the CIO is totally unaware of this. So we came back for the wrap up meeting. We shared that with him. He was, before the, before the uh, business case kicked off, he was just chopping the bit to get firsthand information because he's four levels from the operating group and everything, a fire at the operating level, by the time it gets to the CIO, oh, it's, yeah, somebody struck a match. Yeah, it's not a big deal, right? Right. You wanted unfiltered information. And we were able to give that to him. Now, I think doing, doing these things, it's like you said when we first started this discussion is, when the customer told you, Dick, you probably know more about this than I do. Can you explain it to me? Because when you really do a great job doing this, you do find out things that the executives just don't know about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Dick, so the value pyramid, gold miner discovery, Einstein demo, and building an effective business case with operational value and business impact. I think um, you did a good job explaining it. Are we leaving anything out? You know, John, it just, it, it all fits together and changes the mentality of sellers. My, my passion is to, to take a product feature function seller and turn him into a businessman. Yeah. So everything he does, he does it with a business brain and mind and business reference. How can I help your business, Mr. Prospect? And when that happens, John, it changes careers, the career trajectory of sellers. And the guys- well, I remember up- when you were doing, running the business value assessment group at BMC and you were doing it for different reps that you know, took you into accounts. Every time you did it for a rep and they learned you know, from your experiences and from the experience of doing it, you know, from start to finish at an account, those reps were never the same. That's how they sold in the future. They weren't just doing demos to do demos. They weren't just getting meetings to get meetings. They were doing value pyramids everywhere they went. In fact, I remember going to a meeting in London and the team did such an effective job of discovery and building the value pyramid that one customer 
in the room banged his fist on the table and said, where did you get this type of information? And <laughs> we started laughing and said, you know, it's all, it's all public information. They were yeah. shocked that there yeah. was that kind of information out in the public about their account. It, it, it equips people that learn to do this. They, they develop an unfair competitive advantage against their competition. No doubt. No doubt. And yeah. I love it, like you said, when you lock a competitor out and it really does differentiate you, you know, not only against your competition, but against all the other salespeople that ever enter that account. There's very, very few salespeople in the world that go through this type of process to really be a business partner for, for the customer. And you know, when you get to procurement, John, and you get in front of that professional buyer, yes, um, instead of them running the show, demanding a 50% discount and it's the last day of the quarter. So you got to give it to them. Right. Right. They're begging, you know, this is amazing. What you showed me, could I at least have a 5% discount? And you're like, but goodwill. It's like, you know what? We'll, we'll take care of that for you. No problem. <laughs> it's such a better, it's so, it's such a better, stronger position to be in. And if they, if they say, no, I'm, I need 50% to tell me which features you want to take out of the solution. Because I'm glad you give the discount, but you got to take that functionality out. Yeah, but I got to go back and talk to the executives about the fact that they're not going to get the full business exactly. value out of there. And I know exactly how much that value is worth that he wants to take out of the equation. Oh, yeah, we'll take that out. You're going to get yeah. a million dollars less revenue. Whoa, wait a minute. Don't do that. You know? So. No, it's all really powerful, Dick. Thanks so much for sharing your deep knowledge on, you know, building powerful business cases. And differentiating yourself from, you know, the average salespeople out there. So thank you so much for, for joining us on the, on the podcast. Hey, thank you for the opportunity, John. Uh, you've given me a lot of, lot of big opportunities in my career and uh, you continue to do so. So I, I tip my hat to you, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Man. So that's RWT Consulting. And Dick, tell them, tell people how they can find you. So my website is www.rwtsalesconsulting.com and you can reach me, send me a text at 602-684-4471 or you can send me an email at uh, dthomas at rwtconsulting.net. Three ways. Say that one more time, that, that email. Dthomas, dthomas at rwtconsulting.net. Perfect. Thank you, Dick. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 